morning, everyone. <clears throat> That's good. I'm glad I'm not the only one with a family of young ones. Praise the Lord. Uh, it's an honor and a privilege to be standing here this morning. For those that don't know me, my name is Zach Holzman, and I serve as one of the elders here at West Cohasset Chapel. And it is my hope and has been my prayer that as we open God's Word together, we would see Jesus plainly and that He would stand out and that we would see the character of God and how He interacts with His people and how He loves His people and how He calls His people to holiness just as He is holy. So on the back of your worship folder this morning, you will find the Scripture text listed along with a few points we will be working through as we go along. We will begin with the reading of the text from Revelation 2, which is found on page 867, 867 of your church Bible located under the seat in front of you. So after reading the text, we're going to ask for God's much-needed help. So please turn with me to chapter 2 of Revelation, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent. And do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Amen. May God bless the reading of His Word this morning. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are, we are in desperate need of Your help now as we open Your Word. We thank You for giving it to us. May Jesus be seen through it and may your people be changed because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. We do have a purpose for being in Revelation today. As we take a pause from the Gospel of Mark we've been working through, in the weeks of Pastor Joe's absence over the past several months, you may recall some other elders speaking from the book of Revelation as well. In fact, in chapters 2 and 3, we find seven letters to seven different churches in Asia. And thus far, we have completed four of them. 
And Lord willing, by the end of August here, we will complete the remaining three, beginning today with Ephesus. Now, a few things we need to understand when coming into this letter. Ephesus was a city in the Roman province of Asia, which today would be located on the western side of modern-day Turkey. Ephesus was a coastal city and a major seaport in this Roman province and was quite prosperous at the time. It was a large commercial center with many natural resources and was the capital of the province of Asia. There were numerous religions being practiced in this region. A few include several Greco-Roman deities, Egyptian cults, various Greek gods and goddesses, including Hercules, Zeus, Poseidon, and Artemis of Ephesus, also called Diana, the goddess of love. Spanning almost three football fields in length, the temple of Artemis is today considered to be one of the seven wonders of the world. The seductive nature of her worship was no doubt adding to the fact that Artemis was, at this time, the most worshipped deity in all of Roman Asia, if not the world. And this becomes important when considering the culture in which this congregation lived. Now, as we look at each of the letters uh, to these churches, we will see that each letter holds a form. Each begins with instructions from Jesus to the Apostle John, who is the author of Revelation, to write a message to a particular church. This is followed by a, a relevant introduction, an introduction of Jesus himself. Next, Jesus evaluates the state of the church. He will either give an encouragement to persevere or he will give an exhortation to correct a problem and repent or he will do both. And lastly, he will announce some sort of motivational blessing among his people. So in keeping with this form, we will now dig into the text. So verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, right. Okay, so we need to stop there for a moment. Who, who is this angel of whom Jesus is telling John to write to? Is, is this a heavenly being? Is this an angel that oversees this particular church? Or is it not an angel we tend to think of? Is, in the original language, this term angel also means messenger. The, the Greek word angelo or agalos is used in Scripture to describe both heavenly messengers sent from God and also messengers in which are human. This is seen describing John the Baptist as the messenger, same Greek word here, sent before Jesus in Matthew 11, and also some unnamed messengers reporting back and forth between Jesus and John the Baptist. So it is contended that this angel in Revelation 2 is referring to the church itself, or more specifically, the pastors or leader of the church. So whether this angel is a heavenly being, whether it's a messenger in human form or the pastor of this local Ephesian church, we're not going to get hung up there. But what we do know for sure is this. Each of these letters were written to a specific church body 
for a specific purpose. And each of these churches desperately needed to hear the voice of Jesus Christ. In fact, every church in every generation is in need of this same thing, yes? West Cohasset Chapel included. So this message is from Christ Jesus and it is for all of us. Continuing with verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. The star is referring to the angels or messengers, pastors, leaders of the churches and the golden lampstands are referring to the churches themselves. We know this from chapter 1, verse 20 of Revelation. Jesus is actively walking among his churches. This brings a thought back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, in chapter 2, where we see God himself living and interacting with and watching over man in the Garden of Eden. Now on to verse 2 of our text. I know your deeds, Jesus says, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and I know that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. This term that I know Jesus uses here a couple times refers to having seen or perceived in the, phys- in the physical, visible form. So God is seeing what these churches are up to. Not only is he walking with them, he's taking note of their every move. This church in Ephesus loves good doctrine and is apparently doing a good job at furiously defending it. So point number one, here it is, verses 2, 3, and 6 as well, doing the right things. Here in verse 2, Jesus is applauding them for their deeds, meaning their work, their labor, their toil. He is also giving them some kudos for seeing people, yes, perhaps people inside the church, who are evil and claiming to be apostles and according to their testing have been found to be false. By the way, these, these people claiming to be an apostle or possibly saying something like this, I have received a word from God himself. He told me this. Or, I was sent and I have a revelation for you all. True, this, this is possible. Obviously, the, the, the author of this very book, Revelation, the Apostle John experienced this. But, but honestly, today in America, if we, if we hear something like this, we, we give them their own TV show and with no testing whatsoever. Acts 28, excuse me, Acts 20, verse 28 warns of this where Paul is speaking with the elders of the local Ephesian church as he is parting ways with them after three years. He says, this. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. 
The Ephesian church was doing well at defending good doctrine. They were sensitive to the evil lurking around them and they readily disposed of it. And even more, Jesus goes on in verse 3, you have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So not only were these people of the Ephesian church enduring incredibly when tested and holding firm under persecution, they were doing it for his name's sake. Skipping down to verse 6. You have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The term Nicolaitans can be translated as followers of Nicholas. Now, who this Nicholas is, we don't know. But let's look into the letter written to the church of Pergamum. Later in chapter 2 here of Revelation, verses 14 and 15, Jesus is just finishing up an encouragement to this church. Now, here comes the rebuke. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, that they would eat uh, food, sacrifice to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Many scholars believe that these teachings of Balaam and the teachings of this Nicholas and followers are connected. So regardless these Nicolaitans advocated for a mingled lifestyle, thinking they can live with Christ yet act in any way they please. In the book of Romans, at the end of chapter 5 through the beginning of chapter 6, Paul writes, Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? This would have been a perverted view of grace. Perhaps a Nicolaitan-type lifestyle. So the Ephesians did not tolerate these wicked people and false prophets standing for bad doctrine. So to wrap up point number one, they were doing the right things and... Not only that, where they were doing it for the right person. Good job, Ephesian church. Now, I don't know about you, but this sounds like a church that I want to be a part of. Doesn't it sound like a church that has got it right? They know the truth and they hold firm to it. They maintain a security border for solid doctrine. And well, they even do it in Jesus' name. Wow, I'm, I'm there. You know, put me there, right? Well, we'll see. Moving on to our second point. For the wrong reasons. And verse 4 says this. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. The word yet meaning something similar to in contrast or on the contrary. So we notice a, a shift in Jesus' tone and demeanor toward the Ephesian church here in verse 4. There is a shift from a commendation 
in the previous two verses, to now a condemnation, a complete disapproval of the love they had now, or rather, lack of love they have now. In particular, for me, Jesus says, but we know that love for Christ and love for one another are related. We know this by Mark chapter 12. This is where Jesus' disciples are asking him, Lord, which commandment is the greatest? And in Mark chapter 12, Jesus answered them, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So this love for Jesus they have forsaken is for both God and for one another. The term forsaken means to to leave, to, to send away or to leave alone. Not suggesting that this love had just drifted off or had faded accidentally. Rather, they knew what they were doing. They sent it away. Their first love was gone. This initial excitement was gone. They grew remiss and cold toward God and they did it knowingly and they did it purposely. These people in the church of Ephesus had been so busy studying the truth, so busy defending the truth, so busy making sure the gospel remained pure that they had forgotten that they were supposed to take this gospel to the world. This should have been feeling missions within their hearts, both locally and globally. Do, do we remember, those of us that are saved, what it was like at first, this love, the, the grace? The, the lyrics to the second verse of the song, Amazing Grace, describe it like this. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. That same grace was not as precious as it once had been for the Ephesian church. The gospel was no longer in focus. It was blurred into their preoccupations of good deeds and toil for the protection of themselves. Work hard on Sundays. Serve here, serve there. Wednesday night, I'm there. Morning prayer group, I'm there. Put this thing over here on hold for a need at the church. Yes, sir. Count me in. I'm doing it for Jesus. All this while disregarding the sweetness of the grace displayed on me for no other reason than the love he first granted me. A wretched sinner on route of dancing my way into danger with good works and Jesus stamped all over it. Loving good doctrine and theology for its own sake rather than the Jesus we are getting to know through it. This was the Ephesian church doing lots of good for the right person but for the wrong reasons. 
In the Gospel of Mark, excuse me, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And Jesus says, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Thus here in the Ephesian church, they were clearly doing some good things for the name of Jesus that were external. But what was going on internally was in question. Now on to verse 5. Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, and our final point. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Actually, in the original Greek in this passage, in the beginning of verse 5, there is a therefore or a so then. Meaning something like this. Because of that... Verse 4, losing your first love, now do this. Verse 5, repent and continue in what you did at first. So after this, therefore, he says, consider how far you have fallen. He is asking them to recall, or even better, to think. Use your brains here, Ephesus. Think hard on where your love for the Messiah used to be. Recall deeply on the love and affection you once showed each other. It's dried up. And frankly, it's, it's nearly gone. So after asking them to consider how far their love has drifted, he, then, Jesus, calls them to repentance. Now what, is it, what does it mean to repent? That's a good question. A question we often think we have an easy answer to, like it's something that we do all the time, Right? So I don't know about where you are all at with your confession of sin and repentance, but I know that there's times in my life that I am way off. I mean the sort of way off that's like feeling bad because I know I've been caught. The sort of way off that's like Sinning the same sin again and again and again. And thinking, well, I've been forgiven again and again and again. Or worse yet, you know, knowing that God sees everything, so he must obviously see how sick I feel after I sin. That's, that's, that's not it, folks. To repent means to show deep remorse for your breaking the law of God. And then to change your heart and your mind or to think differently or to change your inner man, your inner person. Turning away from sin and turning toward Christ. So it's more than feeling bad and being sorry. All of which is motivated by a love for God. Remember, God doesn't need us to accomplish His work. 
but he does choose to use us. And that's grace. So we need to repent that we may be more effective in the work of God. After thinking it through, after repentance, now they are encouraged to continue to do the things they did at first. What are these things they were doing at first? Well, it's not clear here in the immediate text, so we're going to have to let the Bible interpret the Bible here, and we're going to do some digging into the roots of this Ephesian church. So we're going to have to take a look back into the book of Ephesians. In chapter 1, Paul, writing to them, says this in verse 15. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul here is commending them for their faith in the Lord and their love for each other. Also in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul gives about a dozen verses in regards to basic Christian living, helping these new believers in the Ephesus church to begin to understand the way of Christ. Okay, now over into the book of Acts. At the end of chapter 20, we see a beautiful scene of, of Paul and some of the leaders of the New church here, there in Ephesus. Paul is giving them some final words and a blessing as he is about to depart from them. They are desperately wanting him to stay. They are weeping over his exit. They are hugging him and they are kissing him, showing a deep affection of love and longing for their brother in Christ. Now these are a few examples that represent a very small sampling of the basics of Christian living. These are some of the things they were doing at first. Now, here is the Ephesian church in Revelation 2, 40 years after Paul has established the church there, and a new generation of believers are emerging, and they have forsaken their first love. Then Jesus goes on in verse 5 here of Revelation chapter 2 saying, if you do not rekindle this first love, if you do not bring your hearts back to me and the things you did at first, if you do not repent, I will remove your lampstand from its place. Your light may no longer continue to shine for my name's sake. Your building may still stand and you may continue to gather, but I will not be there. It's actually very interesting if you read through the seven letters to these seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, you will notice that this is the only church that Jesus threatens to remove. It's because of their lack of love. So even amongst all these other issues going on and the dire need of repentance in, in the in the church of, uh, in Pergamum, eating food, sacrifice to idols, sexual immorality, and being okay with false teaching. The church in Thyatira, uh, we see the same thing here, plus the toleration of evil people. The church in Sardis, dead works. The church in Laodicea, being lukewarm, being spiritually blind to truth and to grace. Even with all of these things, these other churches have completely wrong it was the abandonment of love that warranted a threat to remove the church. 
Now we can't we can't miss that. So to wrap up point number three, we see a call to consider, a command to repent and an appeal to continue with the things they did at first, namely the Christian basics and a love for Jesus Christ and for one another. So here in conclusion, two brief applications and we'll be done. At the close of this letter, verse 7, Jesus says, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. First, we need to recognize that he is speaking to the churches. At the beginning of the letter here in verse 1, it was the church. So we may be tempted to think that Ephesus, you should pay attention to the words of your letter and, and Pergamum, you pay attention to your letter and Thyatira, you have, you have your own issues to resolve. No. This letter and all of the rest of the letters here are meant to be read by the churches. Therefore, you could say these letters were meant to be read by all the congregations in every generation to encourage and strengthen them all along with their others they are connected with. It is not written to us here at West Cohasset Chapel, but it is written for us. Second and lastly, I have a scripture text for us to think through. From 1 Corinthians 13, at the beginning of the chapter, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith to move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. So we'll close now here with this quote from John Piper. He says this. Love is the overflow and expansion of joy in God which gladly meets the needs of others. This is why a person can give his body to be burned and not have love. It is not duty for duty's sake and it is not right for right's sake. It is not a resolute abandoning of one's own good with a view solely to the good of the other person. It is first a deeply satisfying experience of the fullness of God's grace and then a doubly satisfying experience of extending this joy in God to another person. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so gracious to us. 
You are so patient with us. When you really don't have to be, but you are. Just as you don't need any of us to do your work and to grow your kingdom, you still do choose to use us in our stubbornness and in our sin and our lack of love. With our unrepentant hearts at times, we are so weak. But you remain strong. Father, would you now apply this text as we just heard from into our own lives and as we partake in the Lord's Supper together, remind us that we do this in remembrance of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how you saved us from our own unrighteousness, taking our sins, taking our sins unto death and raising yourself to life again, conquering death. Thank you, Jesus. We are no longer slaves to fear. We are no longer slaves to sin. But we are victors through the blood of Jesus Christ. Help us now, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen.